This podcast is a presentation of Gateway Fellowship, Paulsville, Washington. Experience community, find hope. Check us out at gatewayfellowship.com. Hey, here we go. I'm introducing to you Dr. Sarah Boyd. Thank you, Tom. Well, thank you for that. I do, like I said, I just am so appreciative and feel so honored to be a part of the Gateway family. And, um, you know, I, I got the passage for today from Tom. And I groaned a little bit when I saw that I got Samson. Uh, anybody struggled to just, like, like Samson? Do we know Samson? So there's two challenges here. First of all, Samson is just kind of a hot mess in life, and we're going to talk about that. But also, there's a lot of chapters that span his life, so, so there's just so much to cover. And so if you don't know, the basic story is basically uh, Samson took this Nazarite vow. He was not going to cut his hair, and so there was like extra strength that he received from God, and he was going to overthrow the Philistines. But there's just so much more that goes into Samson's story that we're going to look at. And he's just, he's kind of flawed. And um, one, one Bible commentator that I was reading called Samson uh, like a biblical Hercules. And uh, that got me thinking because, uh, Her- the Hercules story, whatever. Um, I'm a Captain America fan. Not like youth, sh- like just shout out your favorite Marvel character. Oh, good. Yes, Josiah, you've done a good job, right? I was, uh, I was waiting for someone to say Thor, and I was going to publicly shame you, but I didn't hear that. So, but see, here's my problem with Thor. Thor now is like an okay guy. He's had a character arc, and that's fine. But if you go back and you, you watch like the first Thor movie, man, he is cocky. He is arrogant. He is kind of hard to like. And, of course, the MCU is not scripture, so you're always like, why are you talking about Marvel? But um, Because my brain just thinks that way. But we're going to see kind of those same things with Samson. He just is flawed. He looks so strong, and physically he is, but spiritually he is so weak, and we're going to see a lot of tensions in Samson's life. And I think that this is... um, I think this is why I'm uncomfortable with Samson. I see myself in his story. See, I want to be Captain America. I want to be like from the get-go, like the person that throws themselves on the grenade, even if it's a fake. Like we like that guy, right? But like I see in Samson's story a lot of humanity. And it, it makes us take a look at our own stories and it makes it confronts our own weaknesses and our own humanity and that can be challenging and convicting. So as we jump into this today, just a little bit of context, uh, Samson, when we look at the totality of his life, judged Israel for 20 years. And um, during that time, like I said, he, was, uh, he had a Nazarite vow that was a part of his life. And, and the purpose of that vow if, if you were to take that vow, it was so that you lived set apart, that you lived in a way that was completely yielded to God. In fact, the roots of that word, like to be set apart, is where we get our word holy. So that, that was the purpose of that vow in Samson's life. But what we're going to find is that Samson, he, he struggled. He struggled. Now, he started off 
really well. In Judges 13, we get the, we get the beginnings of his story. It says, the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him while he was in Mahane Dan between Zorah and Eshtaol. So it seems like Samson's off to a good start. But he's living in the midst of the Philistines because they've conquered the Israelites. And so he's living in the midst of God's enemy. And what we're going to see is that there's two areas where Samson really struggled. And one of these areas, I really wrestled with the phrasing. Like, should I say patterns of foolishness? Should I say a lack of wisdom? So I just went with unaddressed patterns of sin. But I'm probably going to use all of those phrases interchangeably because none of us wake up one day and we're like, I think I shall sin today, right? Like if we do, here's Pastor Tom. I'd like you to meet with him, um, schedule, schedule a conversation, right? But most of us don't like willfully wake up and say, ha ha, I shall sin today. But we have areas of unaddressed weaknesses, we have areas of, of foolishness, we have, we have habits that don't, don't get addressed in our lives, and that leads to these patterns of sin that can go unaddressed in our lives, and that's what we're going to see in Samson's life. And then we're also going to see that he, because of this and in relation to this, there, there was a lot of self-reliance going on in, in Samson's life as well. So let's take a look at this first area which is this, this area of unaddressed sin. Now, at the beginning of Samson's adult life, to give you some context here, and I would just really encourage you to go read Judges 13 through 16 this week because I cannot do his full story, full justice in about 25 minutes, but I'm gonna hit the highlights here. So at the beginning of his adult life, he sees a Philistine woman that he is going to marry, and he tells his parents, I want this one. And his parents say to him, can't you find a nice Israelite girl to marry? Why are you going to marry a Philistine? And he's like, this is the one that is right for me. This is the one that I want. And um, it's kind of a tricky little passage. So let me read you a part that's not on the screen. This is verse 4 of chapter 14, and it says this, his parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time, they were ruling over Israel. So what we seem to have here is a passage that we have to be really careful to come to the right understanding. It is not that Samson's desire for this Philistine woman was a good thing, but that God knew in advance how he was even going to use Samson's foolishness for his purposes. So hold on to that thought that God is sovereign and can use even our sinful choices and our brokenness and our weaknesses for his glory. We're going to come back to that at the end. But this is the first woman that we see in the story of Samson. And so just to read you uh, some context here about a time during their wedding feast, right? So that went on for several days back then. And um, Samson, on his way down to the city where the wedding was being held, he killed a lion, he came up with a riddle, he taunted the Philistines with the riddle, and then they couldn't figure it out. And so this is going to create some drama, so let's read the drama. How many, how many of you love that the Bible is just real about human beings? You do not have to read very far into the Bible to see that we are broken and that we need a Savior, and the Bible does not hide or lessen that reality. So here it is. On the fourth day, they said to Samson, these are the Philistines, right? They said to Samson's wife, 
coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us, or we will burn you and your father's household to death. Did you invite us here to steal our property? Then Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing, you hate me. You don't really love me. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. I haven't even explained it to my father or my mother, he replied. So why would I explain it to you? She cried the whole seven days of the feast. It makes me happy I'm single, if I'm going to be honest. <laughs> but there's this pattern here. Now, Samson is going like, to tell her, and then she's going to tell them, and then it's going to cause even more drama that we're not even going to read about today. But, but here's this kind of murky situation in Samson's life. Like, okay, so, so God tells us he's going to use it, but he's marrying a Philistine. There seems to be some unhealthy relational dynamics. This is a red flag in Samson's life, right? So let's look at the next woman, see if it brings any clarity to this pattern. Well, ah, uh, that solves it, right? Judges 16.1, one day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute and he went in to spend the night with her. Well, there's no murkiness there. There is a pattern here in Samson's life that is not biblical, godly, helpful, or healthy. Okay? So what about the next woman? This is the one we all tend to know. So later in chapter 16, he falls in love with another Philistine woman that he's not married to. And again, you can read this whole passage. We're just going to read one little section here, then I'll, I'll kind of highlight some things. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength. How can you be tied up and subdued? Okay, let's pause there. Samson, buddy old pal, <laughs> do we not see a problem with this? Right? And Samson answered her, if anyone uh, ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I will become as weak as any other man. This is an interesting dynamic, right? Because it says in scripture, in fact, Delilah is the only one of the three women who's actually named. It tells us that Samson like fell in love with her. And yet what we see, isn't it so clear to us that this is like, dude, Red, like, swipe again. Like, keep going on the dating apps. Like, this is not the one, right? And so what's happening here is that the Philistines, they know that Samson loves her, and so they've come to her, and they're like, find out his strength, and we'll pay you. And she's like, okay. And so she's, like, trying to find out his strength, so then she puts him to sleep, and then she's like, oh, no, Samson, the Philistines are upon us. And then he wakes up, and obviously his strength is not in this situation. Now, I want to be fair, which is hard because I struggle with Samson. But, you know, how many of you in Sunday school, like I can remember, I went to like an, a, like an old AG church growing up with like the flannel board, like the flannel boards. Anybody in here remember a flannel board? Yeah, yes, my people. Okay. And so they put this picture up of the flannel board and like, here's Delilah and Samson. And then there's like these vicious Philistines just standing in the background right? Like, do you remember the pictures from Sunday school on this story? Now, to be fair, when we read the text carefully, it says that they were waiting like in ambush or that they were hidden. So there is this exchange that's going to go on with Samson and Delilah, but it doesn't actually say that he saw that the Philistines were waiting to grab him. But like, 
okay, Samson, so we have this exchange. And then she's going to cry because he didn't tell her the truth. And then in a few verses, we're going to have, well, if you tie me with new ropes. And then he's, she's going to put him to sleep, and he's going to wake up, and he's going to be strong, she's going to cry. And then a few minutes later, we have, well, if you braid my hair into seven braids, and then they go through it all again. So, like, he's, I, I want to be fair to Samson, but at the same time, like, is it not clear to see that there is a pattern of, like, serious foolishness or unchecked something in, in Samson's life, right? We can all see it, right? And then finally, the last time, he's going to tell her the truth. Well, no, no razor has ever cut my hair. And he's going to go to sleep, and she's going to shave him, and they're going to they're come in and, and gouge out his eyes and imprison him and, you know, go full Old Testament style. Now, here's what I want us to see in this. It is so easy to see this pattern in Samson's life. But how often are we blinded to the patterns of sin in our own? How easy is it to ignore patterns in our own life? Right? And maybe it's not this. Maybe it's not this lust or this, like, opposite gender attraction that's your weakness. And you're like, let's not do the Christian thing that we do that's like, well, that's not my struggle. Like, then we're all holy right, because we don't fit, like, the one example coming from the pulpit, but what about, like, like a pattern of being quick-tempered, what about, like, a pattern of gossip, what about a pattern of, like, wrestling with authority? See, that's why I think I don't like Samson, because he holds up this mirror, and I see that I am also very human, and that I also am weak, that I mess up, and this issue of unaddressed sin in, in, in Samson's life is, is actually going to pull us into our next point. So, so here's this, this one addressed area. But as we look at this, we're going to see this, this area of pride that often comes with a pattern of sin. Because isn't that, isn't that the truth? That like when we have patterns of sin in our life that go unchecked, it is often because we think we can just handle it. We're just going to will ourselves to not do that sin again, or we're just going to will ourselves to get better. I'm just going to try harder. The, the, the gospel is not try harder. The gospel is you need Jesus, friend. And that's true in Samson's life, and that's true in our lives. And so here's where we see this self-reliance at the end of Samson's story, right? I called it self-reliance because the word pride's just so ugly, right? I mean, who wants to like like, I got pride going on. We don't, we, don't, we don't do that. Okay. So Judges 16, verse 20, it says, Then she, right, this is Delilah, called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And that's a sobering passage of scripture, isn't it? He didn't recognize that, the, that the, the Spirit of God was no longer with him. And, and there's actually some interesting phrasing as we read through Judges and, and, and Samson's story in particular. So chapter 14, verse 6, 14, 19, 15, 14, they all have this phrase that say, and then the, whole, the, and then the Spirit of God came upon Samson. And yet there are other things that Samson did in those same three chapters that, like, that we, don't, we don't see that phrasing there. 
And I think that that's important for us to recognize that in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come upon people, broken people, weak people, and he would move in their lives and he would do something through them where only he could get the glory. But see, I think sometimes we think of the strength, even we, knowing the story, think of the strength as Samson's strength, not God's strength at work through Samson. And I think that's the mistake he made. I'll go out as before and I'll shake myself free as if he had been operating in his own strength in all of these examples. So it's important when we read the Old Testament to think like, how does this point us to Christ, right? Because that's, that's the goal of the Old Testament is to look forward to and to point to Christ. And obviously it shows us that we need a savior, right? Israel needed these judges. They needed someone to save them from the, from the enemy. But, they, but these people who saved, saved them, they were weak and they were flawed and they, they, they weren't good enough. Like we need an ultimate savior. So it, it points us to that truth. But then even specifically in Samson's life, we see that Samson himself points us to an aspect of Christ. See, Judges 16, 28 um, says, or not 28, sorry, let's go, go back a little bit. Oh, yeah, no, that's right. Judges 16, 28. After he'd been imprisoned, they're having a big celebration, and they bring him out, and they place his hands on pillars, and Samson is going to pray this prayer. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Now that is a different heart posture than what we've seen in Samson so far. Now, he goes on in that prayer to, like, ask for revenge about his eyes. So, you know, he's still the same Samson. <laughs> but think about these words, sovereign God. Like, God, you're the one who's in control. Hey, God, the one who ultimately, ultimately my strength comes from. Sovereign Lord, would you remember me? And then he's going to press on those columns, and he's actually going to bring that auditorium down and scripture even later in Judges 16 says this in verse 30, that Samson took out more Philistines in his death than when he lived. Now that's interesting, and that sounds a little harsh to our modern ears, but, but think about what's happening here. The, this is the enemy of God. So, so what if I phrase it this way? It was Samson's death that dealt the greatest blow to the enemy of God's people. Well, who does that point to but Christ himself? I mean, is not his, his death the greatest blow to sin and death that there is? And then his resurrected life that, that is at work in us even today? Like Samson points us to Christ, that you and, our, and you and I and our brokenness and our weakness and our humanity, we cannot just do it ourselves. We need a savior. So I wanna, I wanna spend some, some significant time on application today. What do we do with the story of Samson in our own lives? And as we've recognized in his life, there were times where the spirit of God would come upon him and would empower him. And friends, you and I live if we are in Christ with the spirit at work within us. So I want to look at another gospel writer who sometimes we have the opposite reaction to than Samson, Paul. 
Unlike Samson, who we just see as like <laughs> weak. Oh, Paul. Right? He's like writing a third of the New Testament. He's planting churches. He's getting stoned and popping right back up and being like, what town is next? Let's go. Right? Like, like Paul is Paul. And yet Paul understood the same thing that we're seeing in Samson's life. Because think about the words that he writes in Romans chapter 7 when he says, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, sometimes people will try to take this passage and say, well, what Paul's referring to is like his former life, like before Christ, that's where he sinned, and then he's in Christ, and so like, and it's now, and they try to like create this dichotomy in Paul's life. But the Greek doesn't actually allow for that because earlier in the passage, Paul is not using a first-person present tense in Greek. But for this section, where he says, this is what I do, he's using a personal tense in the present. Because here's the reality. Even though we have Christ um, who has worked on our behalf, and even though the Spirit is at work within us, we still live in a body marred by sin. We live in a world marred by sin and brokenness. So this side of eternity, we live in the tension like a compass pole, like the, the, mag, the magnetic needle of our heart that wants the things of God but still feels the pull of sin in this world. And we live in this tension our whole lives. And yet we know we have ultimate victory. But Paul goes on to explain, but hey, there's things that actually make this needle stronger. And here's what he says. He goes on to say in Romans 8, 5, set your mind on spiritual things. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. So set your mind on spiritual things. Now look, we live in a technology age. We live in an information age. We can have anything we want whenever we want it. And information is one of the main things we want. I actually told my Bible students that I'm older than Google, and they did not have a box for that, right? But like at one point, you couldn't just have your phone navigate you somewhere. You know, you couldn't just look up if you had a question, right? But this idea of setting our mind on the things of the Spirit. Friends, we have to live in the Word. We have to dwell in it richly. To set our mind on the things of the Spirit. So that we lose some of that pull towards sin. You know, God's Word says it will correct us, and it will rebuke us, and it will train us. And those are not always pleasant things. But you want to make the compass needle of your heart the stronger pull towards the things of God, then let God's word 
be a mirror in your life to address the areas that need to be addressed. Your thoughts and your actions and your motives. The other thing uh, that we see in this passage as Paul goes on through chapter 8 is to pray. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. For he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. You ever walk through such a hard season that the only prayer you could get out was, oh, Lord, and you can just trust that God knows what to do with that prayer? And his spirit is going to intercede. So set your mind on spiritual things. Pray. And then be assured of this truth that Paul's going to end Romans with. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. This is like that verse that we see in in Judges 14.4 with Samson and that first wife. It is not that the thing itself is good, but that God knows how to use it for good and his glory. Did you know that Samson made it into like the hero's hall of fame in Hebrews 11? You ever looked at some of the people recorded in that chapter and are like, how did they make it? Right? Like Sarah, Abraham's wife, like laughed at God. And yet she's recorded in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11.32 says this, and what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets. Like all these really human, broken, sinful people that like made it into the hall of fame. Friends, if God can use Samson, he can use you. If he can use anyone that he's used in scripture, he can use me. Like he is not looking for people who have it all together. He is looking for people who will say yes to him and submit to him. The author of Hebrews goes on to say at the end of chapter 11 that these were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. These are the cloud of witnesses that are watching as we run our race, right? Like that's what the scripture is saying. Like you have a cloud of witnesses, all these broken people who we think would barely make it. Like that's who has run their race and now we are running our, our race. And, you know, Jason and, and the worship team, they're going to they're gonna come back out and we're going to have a, a chance to respond. But aren't you glad that that passage of scripture where Samson and others are recorded doesn't say run perfectly. It says run with perseverance. That the Holy Spirit is gonna give you the strength as we rely on God to run a race that is faithful, 
not perfect. Friend, if you, if you struggle with sin, high schooler, if you, if you wrestle with sin, it is not that you just don't know Jesus. Don't believe that lie. Those of us who know Jesus and are in Jesus, we're still gonna have this wrestle and this pull, but the story of Christianity is not that you and I are so great, it's that we are so flawed and yet we serve an awesome God who is good and loving and gracious and has redeemed us. So I don't know what area of brokenness is in your life this morning, but as we respond in this time of worship, can we lean into our God who does impossible things through broken people? Can we think about our God who's a healer and a miracle worker and a redeemer and who is faithful and who is kind to sinners and broken people like you and me who by faith are just gonna run this race? relying on his strength. Amen? I believe it. 